Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. We have done a lot of play, and you do you consider yourself a masochist when it comes to the spanking and the paddles and the you know, nipple clamps? I used to. I I start I used that word for a little while because I was looking for other people to play with, and I ended up getting my shins whipped with a single tail. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm I, I maybe I'm not a masochist, but I do like the bottom. So I do like the pain. I do like, yeah, all of that. We know a lot of masochists and we know a lot of heavy masochists. But Mm -hmm. what we don't know a lot about is emotional masochism. Very true. This week on Erotic Awakening, emotional masochism, kinky Walmart, and yay, no more COVID. (laughs) Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. We'd like to thank our latest Patreon supporters. Among other perks, Patreon supporters get free Kingstarter cards or books, as well as audio experts, excerpts from our book, <laughs> Living MS, and Zoom discussions. Uh, the next Zoom discussion is August 30th. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dawn. <laughs> I just jumped right on that high Dan today, didn't you now? Yeah, I did. It's doesn't it kind of for some reason it feels like it's been a long time since we've podcasted, and I know that's not the truth. I know that we've podcasted fairly recently. Did we podcast last week? I sw- Yes, we did because we had uh, we did, but we did it from the house right. studio. Right. So it was a little different. And that might be uh things might be a little bit different in general. We might move the studio somewhere. We might. But that's a different topic for a different day. Well, this studio is pretty... Well, you've got it. You've had it set up like this in your office for a while. You are not used to that. You are not used to me leaving the studio in one configuration (laughs) for two weeks in a row without... It's you. You change things up all the time. You're not wrong. (laughs) I think you get bored. You're not wrong. (laughs) Today on the podcast, uh, we are very fortunate. We have uh, Jareth from Chicago, uh, on to talk about emotional masochism, something you and I don't know a whole lot about. and we're I don't to... think we do anyway. I'm kind of curious to find out more about it to see if, yeah, see if it's one of my things. And other than that, we don't have a ton of other stuff. We do have some interesting, um, some interesting things that are going on in the community right now. Mm-hmm. Some interesting news. Um, and also, I got to tell you about Kinky Walmart because I don't, maybe you're not going to be surprised, but I found it very strange personally. Uh, but before we get into that, let's go right into our opening uh, conversation with Jareth about emotional masochism. Jareth, thanks for joining the podcast tonight. You're welcome. Hi, folks. Nice to see you virtually anyway. Virtually. <laughs> and, and we are, you're actually, uh, a lot of the guests that we have on the podcast are people that we've never met, but you're somebody that we've actually interacted with on a fair number of occasions, either here in Columbus or in Chicago where you're at. And yeah. it just sucks not being able to see people. I would agree. I um, consider myself an introverted extrovert, and I am really struggling with the extrovert person portion during this time and missing folks like you guys a lot. And would just love to give you a hug. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I, well, I was thinking I'm going to hug the fuck out of you when I see you. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how you put an in, introverted extrovert. So usually people don't combine them, but I can see that. And I think I was trying to explain to Barrick that I'm absolutely an introvert, but I think I can be an introvert because I'm used to all this energy around the space and now I'm not getting it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I can understand that. I'm definitely missing kink energy in my life quite a bit. Seeing other people enjoy their kinks is something that's always been really rewarding for me mm-hmm. and not having it right now is hard. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of kink energy, one of the things that we're, the the main topic we wanted to talk to you about today, and um, it's really neat, and and I want you to tell people your a little bit of your biographical information. But it's funny, somebody wrote to us and said, "Hey, you should have, you know, I'd love to hear something about emotional masochism." You know, here's this list of people that maybe you'd want to talk to. And I was like, I don't need no fucking list. <laughs> now I I went out and posted because we've I think we've tried to have this conversation tried to line up this podcast with you before, but yeah. um, when it comes to emotional masochism, there are only two names that come to my mind. And I believe one of those people has retired from the public scene, so I won't even say their name. Uh, but I have seen you do some 
really interesting things. Um, <laughs> and talk about some And really talk about some really interesting things. things. So let's start off by, tell us a little bit, well, what the heck is emotional masochism? Wait, 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 before that, who is Jareth? We know Jareth. We've known Jareth. We for- know Jareth. Oh, you mean the podcast <laughs> listeners? Yes. May not. All right, Jareth, tell us, if you would be so kind, give us a little background on who you are. And then tell us I'm about emotional mechanism. mechanism. Yeah. So my name is Jareth, and I live in Chicago. I use the pronouns she, her. Um, and I'm an interior designer and architect in my day job. But in the nighttime, I help run GD2, Gallery of Domain 2 in Chicago, which is um, probably the city's largest dungeon. We've got a really active kink scene here, and GD2 is active as well. I have been in the scene since I was 18 years old, so 20 years now, and I've identified as an emotional masochist that whole time. I've been in three serious emotional masochism relationships, and it really is something that is the core foundation of, I would say, how I structure my relationships, but it also is one of my identities, emotional masochist. It's a fetish for me. It's something that I have to have in order to get off, and it's something that I find so fulfilling and so compelling that I've structured my life to be able to have it in it a lot. Nice. Um, so, emotion, yeah, and, and I do find it fulfilling. Now, when I talk tonight, I'm going to talk about things that might be challenging for people to hear, um, things that I've done that are challenging or ideas that are challenging, because emotions can really hit at our hearts quite a bit, as everyone knows. And so I just want to preface it by saying that everything that I've, I'm going to talk about tonight I was okay with happening to me unless I say otherwise, but that doesn't mean that I didn't have negative emotions from it. And that's kind of what the core of emotional masochism it is. So masochism is defined as the condition in which someone's sexual and psychological gratification is derived from suffering. And emotional masochism is specifically when that suffering is about your feeling suffering. So it Mm. encompasses things like humiliation kink, fear play, wanting to feel worthless, degraded, objectified, lonely, jealous. There are all kinds of these delicious emotions that we can play with that most people might consider to be negative and not want in their lives, but emotional masochists fetishize them and get off on feeling. See, that mine falls in there. My, I, I like to play with fear, but mm, not like spiders and stuff. <laughs> but like I have a fear of falling. So Dan plays with that a lot. Absolutely. That type of fear is that's a very common fear that folks have. Anything that makes you feel like you're in a dangerous situation can make a lot of folks feel fear. And definitely it's a form of emotional masochism, wanting to explore that feeling, wallow in it a little bit, experience it to its fullest and not have to step away from that feeling immediately. When you're doing that and you're getting hard or wet or aroused from it, that's emotional masochism. And humili- sensual humiliation, I like that too, which is yeah, um, being called a slut or dirty girl or... <laughs> it, it's really funny when you were talking, Jareth, Dawn and I are sitting here steadily writing shit down. The, the first one I want to ask you about, which, you know, when I think emotional masochism, I, ha- I think of de- degradation play or humiliation play, but you had mentioned uh, m- emotional masochism via loneliness. What is that about? What's that like? Oh, you're hitting right into the hard stuff right away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So for some people who are into emotional masochism, feeling alone and like no one wants to be with them, it's something that you can really wallow in. A lot of emotional masochists, when I say the word wallow, what they're looking for is a long-term feeling that they don't have to step away from immediately, that they can sit in and experience for a while. And loneliness is something that a lot of people who are emotional masochists can really get into. Whether you're a cuck queen or a cuckold and your partner is going off and fucking other people while you stay at home feeling bad about yourself or lonely with them not there, or whether you're into abandonment play where someone makes you feel like they're going to leave you alone for right now or for a long time. Loneliness can be a really arousing feeling for a lot of folks. But just like a lot of emotions that we play with an emotional state of the masochism, it's a dangerous one too. So there's a lot of risks that come along with feeling lonely, risks to relationships more than to people themselves. But loneliness for me is incredibly erotic, but I also need to know that it's got a time frame on it and it's going to end at some point and things are going to get resolved, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, so 
that's kind of funny because there's a couple of things on this list that I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that. And a couple of things on this list, like loneliness, abandonment. Didn't you say jealousy? Mm-hmm, oh, yeah. Those are not fun for me at all. Been there, done that. Have not eroticized that one. So, Yeah, and I actually don't. I think that's really common that a lot of people may get aroused by certain emotions, like you said, sensual humiliation, right? Mm-hmm. Or fear, but not aroused by others. Emotion really has tailored to the status and the masochists who are engaging in it in order to be successful. Um, for example, I'm I'm a really hard worker, so no one's ever going to be able to tell me that I'm lazy and make me feel bad about myself by saying that because it's just not true. I'm not going to believe them. It's not going to really hit home mm-hmm. for me, right? But tell me that the gap in my teeth makes me ugly or that my father never loved me or that I have to please men in order to feel self-worth and we're really getting into emotions that I can get off on right and so not every emotion that people would generally consider negative is going to work for every person you really have to tailor it to the past experiences of the bottom that you're playing with can you do or have you done or would you do emotional masochism scenes as pickup play or is it just too intense too in depth for that kind of play I think it depends on the topic. So I would not play with incredibly extreme emotions that I thought might have a large effect on me or past trauma with pickup play, because I think it would be difficult for someone who didn't know me well to be able to take me deep and into a space that I would enjoy. We'd probably just stay surface level. But I have done things like fear play and humiliation as pickup play before, and I do enjoy them. They're not, there are some fears that are almost universal. For a lot of folks, fear of falling is pretty common, fear of spiders, um, fear of drowning is very common for folks. So those are things that you can kind of, as a, a sadist, pull out of your bag and know that a lot of emotional masochists are going to have those fears and you can play with them. But when you want to get into deep stuff, you have to take the time to get to know someone in order for the emotional masochism to be successful. And I would guess there's got to be, I mean, Jealousy, for example, can only occur as well is most effective when you have an emotional connection to the person that's trying to make you jealous. Otherwise, jealousy play doesn't work. If you don't care what the person's doing, then who cares? Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing goes for a lot of emotions, especially when you're dealing with hurt feelings or anything that has a tinge of humiliation or embarrassment or degradation to it. If I don't care what you think about me, you're probably not going to be able to hurt me with it that much. So, two things. First, I had a scene with somebody, wait a minute, let me write down my second thing so I don't forget <laughs> that too. But uh, the first thing is I had a scene with somebody and it was actually supposed to be a um, cop, you know, a uh, cop and, and someone that's getting a ticket or whatever, you know, that, that sort of scene. But instead, the person I was negotiating it with is a prison guard. So it turned oh. into a prison guard prisoner thing, Right. Well, he put yeah. these he put these ankle shackles on me, these metal, what are, what are they, iron ankle shackles on me and stuff like that so I could barely walk. So what was a prison guard, prisoner scene ended up turning into a don't let me fall, don't let me fall thing because I was afraid of falling and breaking an ankle. And um, luckily he rolled with it and it switched and he started playing off of the fear. So... I'm- I'm glad to hear that. I think that that's something that a lot of people who are just getting into emotional masculine and sadism worry about is the fact that um, it can be unpredictable. Mm-hmm. So you know how I feel about something, but until we're really in the thick of it, you may not know exactly how I'm going to respond to whatever emotional stimulus you're giving me. And so having the ability to be flexible on what you play with is really important for folks to have a successful scene. That's that's true. I mean, I had another one that he must have been talking to Dan and because what he wanted me to do was to fall back into his arms. And I was a hundred pounds heavier and I was like on a little ledge that's only like two inches off the floor, but still to, to rock back and to lean and to cross my arms. It was hard for me to let go of that piece of equipment, but man, that was a hot fucking scene. (laughs) Absolutely. Fear of the unknown and fear of, of what could happen that you might not be for is something that can be really effective in the emotional state of the tool bag as well. So we're, you've just touched on something that really, I, I don't know how you 
the, the flexibility part, right? Being flexible and allowing things to go the way that they go makes complete sense to me in any, in any physical scene, right? But in an, an emotional masochism scene that just, I, you know, as a, as a top, as a, it just feels like you're asking for trouble uh, because you are in such a emotionally vulnerable place. How do you, boy, and, and I really, I, I, you, I, I, I feel like I'd, I'd like to talk to one of the uh, sadist or emotional tops that you work with to, to understand it from their perspective. But how do you get, how do you give them confidence that if things, that things can go oh. to whatever direction they go? Oh, that's a great one. This is a huge question too. So I think it's important um, to start off with the understanding that this type of play is valid. Okay. I think in the BDSM community, there are a lot of folks who are judgmental about emotional sadism and masochism. That certainly has been my experience. I've been kicked out of dungeons for doing this type of play. I've seen negative posts about myself online for, oh my God, you wouldn't believe the weird things, mean things, horrible things this person was doing to someone in the dungeon or this thing this girl needs to get off. So I think there is a lot of um, negative uh, judgment out there about this. But it, it is a valid form. It is just as valid as physical masochism and sadism. Is. It just deals with my feelings, right? So I think the first thing that a top has to do in order to be comfortable with that flexibility is to understand that this is okay to want. It's okay for me to want someone to tell me that I'm ugly or disappointing or that I deserve to be lonely or that they'll never love me. That's okay for me to want and it's okay for me to get off on. So once you understand that and that it can actually be a scene, you understand that it deserves the same respect that other scenes do. So you understand that it needs to be well negotiated. Um, we often say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, for an emotional masochist, that's not true at all. Words are going to hurt me a lot more than a fist to the face is, for example. So you have to take a lot of care in the negotiation. And I would say, at least in my experience, I take more care in my negotiations as an emotional masochist than I do when I'm doing physical masochism play. I talk to my tops about not just what my limits are, but why those limits exist how they came to be, what my experiences are around those limits. I talk about soft and hard limits. And I talk about my emotions on things that aren't limits at all, how I'm likely to react if you tell me that you hate me or if you leave me locked up in a room with a hood on and make me feel like you're never coming back. And I think that in doing that and sharing as much of my emotional process as possible, tops typically learn to trust that I can take what they're going to give out and that I'm thoughtful about my own emotions and what I agree to. I will say, however, that I play when I do, when I engage in this type of play, and it's not pickup play, when I engage in it with partners or even friends that I've known for a while, I do so without boundaries and I do so without a safe word. And I do that because I need to not have those boundaries and I need to not have a way out in order to get off if I have a way to remove consent from the scene, I don't get aroused and I can't go deep and I can't experience every emotion I want to. But because of that, I negotiate really, really in depth with my partner so they understand what their responsibilities are and what my responsibilities are and what it will look like if I'm okay or not okay. And I think that because I give so much information, typically I've found that tops trust me quite a bit in order to let the scene go where it's going to go. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So cool. So I've got another question for you. So Can I say one thing about that, though? Absolutely. I think, I think that a lot of folks think that playing without a safe word or without boundaries is the end-all be-all and something that we should all strive for. And I don't actually think that's true, and I don't think it's necessary for everyone in emotional masochism or sadism to be that way. It just happens to work for me. And so I know in the kink community, there can often be this stigma of if you don't play edgy and you don't play hard, you're not enough. And that's not true at all. It isn't some um, popularity contest and I don't get a merit badge for wanting to play that way. And I just don't want anyone to think that from what I said. 
Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, yeah. Because um, cause I feel like you're saying the other side of what Dan and I usually preach, which is safe words are great because then tops will know their limits and, you know, yeah. things like that. And um, so having this, the story and the experience of not playing with those, but you've explained very well about how you negotiate and things like that. So, so that's write, something to yeah. keep in mind. Write down your question because I'm going to ask I've got it's I've got my two. idea to not play with a safe word too, which is one of the reasons right. that I feel so comfortable talking about it is that there isn't like my my owners aren't saying you don't get a safe word. I'm saying I don't want one. Right. right? That doesn't mean that I don't have limits. I certainly do. It just means that I have communicated where they are to my partners and I don't require them to respect those limits. So I am after I don't know, been around this stuff for about twenty years now. I'm pretty good with a flogger. I'm gonna say I'm damned good with a flogger. I've seen you flog. I'd agree. Okay. (laughs) And yet, regardless of that, every once in a while, the flog goes in a different direction than I expect. And it does Mm -hmm. a little wrap around or I hit harder than I mean to, or I hit softer than I mean to. When that happens, so that's, I assume, first off, that happens when you do emotional masochism play. And when you do, what does that recovery look like? Absolutely. And I think one of the challenges is when you're flogging, you probably can see the skin beginning to get red and raw mm-hmm. before it cracks and bleeds, right? Mm-hmm. And with emotional mechanism, you don't have that same type of visual cue that things are going wrong. So for what looks like for most people, things are getting bad. Like there's this body language that goes along with someone shutting down emotionally. Yeah, and that body yeah. language is like arms crossed over the stomach shoulders hunched forward, face down and not looking at someone, not able to engage verbally, or for some people heavily sobbing. That's what it looks like when people shut down and aren't having a good time for some folks. But for a lot of emotional masochists, that's what it looks like when things are just starting and getting good. (laughs) So you've got to be able to know your bottom, which is why this can be difficult to do with pickup play, but not impossible. You've got to be able to know your bottom and their specific body language. And you have to know whether or not that place of that body language is somewhere that they want to go. And I think your question was also, it isn't and goes wrong, how do you handle it afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, that's always been communication. So it has been when the scene is done, maybe not right afterwards, but I'm probably going to need to talk about it. And that's not a form of aftercare for me. I actually don't want to do any um, repair of myself as soon as the scene is done. I want to wait a while before that happens. But I may need to process things. And if something's gone poorly, I'm really going to need to process. So for me, I make a commitment with my partners. I'm willing to give you all of this horrible stuff that I think about myself to play with. But in return, you have to talk to me if something goes wrong. And you don't have to talk to me a month down the road or two weeks down the road. You have to talk to me when I need it. Mm. Okay. I do a lot of that I can on my own. I'm going to try to not need it. But if I do, you've got to be there for me. And being able to trust my partners to do that has always made me feel like I can go farther and explore more. And I hope it's made them feel that way too. Because when that isn't, that trust isn't present, it can be really difficult to do this type of play. Oh, I, I can totally imagine that. So so my question is more of, you've said that you've always been an emotional masochist. So I probably got like five questions here. But um, <laughs> first of all, and maybe you can wrap it all up. Um, first of all, how did you figure that out? How did you become okay with it? Because it is judged harshly sometimes. And then, like, what do you get out of it? So, yeah, so how did you discover it? How did you become okay with it? What do you get out of it? So, I discovered it before I was an adult. My mom had a lot of books, and on her bookshelf, I, I grew up in northern Maine where there's not a lot to do but read. And <laughs> on her bookshelf was a series of 1980s Bodice River romance novels. And I remember taking out the one that was my favorite color at the time, which was red, sneaking it to my bedroom and reading it. And the book is called Stormfire by Christine Monson, and it was written in the 1980s. And in this book, this English woman is kidnapped by an Irishman. And he is um, 
his people have been basically downtrodden by her father, who is the general of the, um, the English army. And this man kidnapped her so that he can revisit all the atrocities on her English body that the Irish have had visited on them. So he rapes her, gives her to his men to rape, beats her up horribly, turns her into a servant, takes her pets and gives them away to other women, gets her pregnant and starves her until she loses the baby. I mean, he does horrible things to her. He locks her up in a dungeon for like a year without seeing the light and starves her to almost dead. And I remember reading that. And at the end of the book, they get together and they live happily ever after. <laughs> and all I could think, wow, this is what love is. And I, I was like an early teenager then. And I went through the rest of my teenage years thinking, I have got to find someone to treat me like that. I had this concept that this was what love was. And when I was 18 years old, I found a guy to do that. <laughs> and I moved in with him and found the kink community. And at the time, I found the language for emotional masochism from Phantom and Femcar, who were teaching humiliation play classes at the time. That was the early 2000s, like 2000, 2001. That was, they were uh, the only that was our second yeah. name, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, they were the only people that I knew in the community who were teaching that. And at the time, I think that they were also getting a lot of negative responses from mm -hmm. people when they would go out to the same dungeon. I started getting those same negative responses. I remember being at um, uh, a massive convention in D.C. at 19 years old. And for me, it was a very simple scene. I was naked and I was kneeling in the middle of the dungeon. And my owner at the time was walking around me and telling me all of the reasons that he didn't want to be in a relationship with me anymore. I was boring. I wasn't intelligent enough for him. I couldn't talk about politics. I was a hick and I grew up poor and I embarrassed him in front of people all of the time. He was saying all of these mean things to me and I was like squeezing my thighs together to masturbate without anybody seeing <laughs> And we got back to where our stuff was where I'd like taken off some of my clothes and we put our toy bag off to the side. And on the top of my bag was a business card for a women's shelter. Wow. Someone thought that I was being abused. And it really made me feel incredibly judged. And that's like one of dozens of experiences that I have like that. But I decided that, you know, at the age of 18, 19, you're feisty and you think you can take on the world. And I decided that I was going to educate people about why it is that I wanted to do this type of play and what I got from it. And I stopped being quiet about liking it. And I just started talking to anyone and everyone about emotional masochism and how I found it fulfilling. Nice. And yeah. And 20 years later, and I'm super comfortable in my skin as an emotional masochist. So 20 years later is being judged and and I'm, this is a legitimate question because I don't know. If you, 20 years later, you get judged, somebody posts on FetLife, oh, yeah, she's a sick puppy. Is that hot? <laughs> it's not. Um, it's actually, I, I am well actualized enough at this point to only find things that people do to hurt me intentionally hot. But there was a long period in my life where I found things that people didn't hurt not to hurt me in an erotic way. Hot. Mm. And I think a lot of emotional masochists have that experience where they put themselves in negative situations in order to feel things about themselves and to experience consequences in order to get their fetish met. Mm -hmm. And it's non-consensual on their part. It's not like the people who are doing it to them don't know that's what they're doing. And you don't really get a lot from it. So like if I have a bad day at work and I have a client tell me they don't like my design, I don't get aroused by that. Okay. But there was a time in my life when my emotional masochism was not as healthy that I did. And I think that now I just have more access to it and I understand it better and I'm more comfortable with it. So I don't experience that as much. So when people find out that you're into emotional masochism, do they ever respond by assuming it's okay to you respond by something like say, oh, well, that's because you're such a stupid pig or something like that, that just to <laughs> assume that, that, yeah, because people are yeah, fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that you say that because I teach this class on humiliation, right? And I've probably taught it, I would say a hundred times now over the years. And I've only had, and it was recently, it was last year. I had the first time last year with the first class where someone didn't try to non-consensually humiliate me afterwards. 
So what happens is people will find out things about you that may humiliate you. They'll find out some of the things I've said here, for example, that my father never loved me. Or even they'll find things that might make you a little afraid, like I'm terrified of crickets or heights or things like that. And they will come up to you and say them casually in conversation to see if they can get a response. And they're not doing it to engage in play. Most of the times I've found those people don't feel like they're playing with you. But when you're an emotional masochist and they're specifically trying to get a rise out of you, it feels like they are. It feels like it's non-consensual and folks do it all the time. And I think a lot of it is entitlement and lack of experience with emotional masochists and sadists. But yeah, it happens. <laughs> and it's it's bizarre because if we if you were teaching a class on nipple play, right, the last thing you would expect is for someone at, to at grab least, your nipple. Right. I mean, sure, <laughs> maybe some noob whose first time they've ever attended anything. You okay? Yeah, I understand. But otherwise, right, you wouldn't expect people that have been around for a little while to just assume it's okay to non-consensually engage in this play that you just talked about. But it sounds like and that's you the, wouldn't. Yeah, but the difference might be that, like, if you're going to non-consensually flog someone, you have to go get the flogger and bust it out, whereas you have your words with you all the time. Oh, that's and legit. All the time. Yeah. So people are just used to using them in ways that aren't kind frequently, and they don't think about what happens when they do it to emotional masochists or sadists. I'm actually sitting here very offended for you. <laughs> Look, my arms are crossed. I was just sitting out all spread out, my arm across the back of the chair. And then you're talking about how people unconsensually do it, man. And I'm just like, yeah, arms folded across my chest. It's like, that's that's not right. <laughs> yeah, well, as many people who are jerks about it, there are also people who really do understand it and get it. And, and especially um, folks who've done this type of play before tend to be incredibly respectful of those things. Because they understand that it's valid, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, speaking of it being valid, there was this great study done by researchers at the University of Michigan that found that the same regions of the brain that are engaged when we experience physical pain are mm-hmm. also engaged when we experience social rejection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this really is a valid form of play. It really does have an effect on our body. That's kind of cool. I bet it's hard to see from the outside. I can almost, even though it was probably offensive when someone left the uh, women's shelter card on your thing, they probably were just trying to be helpful because this isn't something that we see a lot. I mean, I can remember watching Femcar in the early 2000s, and sometimes I would have to walk away. It was really hard with what she wanted, but she explained it in a way that I'm like, oh, that's what you get out of it. Okay, I can't watch some of the stuff because of my past baggage, but if that's what gets you off, then go for it. Yeah, and there's a lot, for me, there's a lot to get out of emotional masochism. So just to name a couple of things, I get catharsis out of it. And and I mean catharsis about topics, but also just catharsis in general. That emotional release is mm-hmm. something that, I get out of emotional masochism play that is incredibly rewarding for me. It just feels like I've had the worst day ever and I've experienced it and lived through it and it's done. Hmm. And so there's that type of catharsis. Sometimes it comes with lots of tears. Sometimes it comes with me being almost catatonic, but that feeling of release comes from it can be really, really wonderful. There's also something for me that's really strengthening about emotional masochism. And this might sound a little strange, but it really does strengthen my relationship. So, for example, my um, owner, Jason Magister Nodi, who would identify as an emotional sadist as well, um, did this wonderful scene with me once in a shower. I happen to say the words, I'm sorry, all of the time. And I, I still have that bad habit years after we've done this scene. And I will apologize for everything in the world, stubbing my toe, it raining, him frowning. It doesn't matter if I've done it. I will apologize for it. And one day he said to me, Jareth, what are you sorry for? And it finally popped into my head in the middle of a scene. I'm sorry for being me. Mm-hmm. He looked me dead in the eyes and said, I'm sorry you're you too. <laughs> and afterwards, you might think that, that would really hurt our relationship. But what ha- happens for me in emotional masochism is that I feel like someone knows my deepest, darkest secret that I'm sorry for being me. And they love me anyway. Nice. Wow. So, so I do have another question for you. As in, yeah. do you end up feeling, after going through some of these scenes 
and it's cathartic for you, do you end up feeling like more empowered as a person because you made it out on the other side, you experienced it, you rebuilt yourself and... Yeah, I often when I'm done with emotional masochism, I feel really powerful. Now, in the moment, don't get me wrong, I feel all of those negative things about myself. Right. When I said that, and I'm sorry for being me, I meant it. And that's the way I felt in the moment. It was real. Um, but afterwards, what I feel is aroused by that idea, aroused by my own power getting through it, and aroused by the idea that I might get to experience it and still be okay again. I'm kind of curious because um, you said that uh, you said you were sorry for being you. And then he said, you know, I'm sorry, you're you too. And I'm picturing myself in that scene. Oh, my God, that would crush me. I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking I would end up in a, either a walking out or a fuck you attitude. I don't know. You know, that, I've so been that in both just, of those <laughs> And sometimes those are good too. I'm often, I'm often angry when I'm playing with emotional math because I'm angry mm. that someone is things to me. I also feel the way they want me to feel humiliated, degraded, afraid, but I often feel anger as well. Those emotions go hand in hand for a lot of folks or, or sadness or guilt that you need this or sadness that people think these things about you or you think them about yourself. Um, but it's also really arousing. <laughs> So, okay, Lori, this is just, sorry, this is just getting my, my, my psychiatry head (laughs) uh, flipping around. But so do you ever, you said it's cathartic. So do you ever seen enough with a certain topic? Let's say it's you feeling bad about yourself and you've seen, have you ever seen enough with that topic that it's uh, lost air quotes? Yeah. Lost its power. There you go. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely, I have. Um, there's certainly um, the one that loses its power for me quickly is jealousy. So when I feel jealousy, it's a pretty fleeting emotion at this point. It used to be when I was early on in my emotional masochism and with my experiences with myself in it, that jealousy would last for weeks when it happened. But now when I experience jealousy in a scene, it's over very quickly and I'm not able to get a massive catharsis or release from it because I've done it so often. Mm-hmm. Um and so what I actually do is, this sounds really bad, but I hoard experiences. <laughs> so I, although I've been in the scene for 20 years, there's a lot that I haven't done sexually or even in play because I want to save those experiences for something really big, for oh. some huge emotional masochism scene so that they don't get burnt out at all. Huh. I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but- because I'm... There's only so many things to feel bad about yourself for. (laughs) Well, you know, 2020, you should have plenty of opportunities to feel bad. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I will say, though, even though I say like I'm in that scene, I said that I'm sorry um, that I'm myself. I also have a pretty high self-esteem. Right. So my emotional masochism is even though it's a fetish for me and I've been diagnosed with a paraphilia, it does feel like something that's very healthy for me to experience in my life and that adds positives to my life. And in general, I'm someone who's really confident about herself and likes myself quite a bit. So emotional masochists are not these like wrecks of human right. beings who feel badly about themselves. They're just people who get off on feeling badly about themselves. And and I, I can absolutely vouch for that. In in our interactions, you you always strike me as very happy, bubbly, enjoying life, uh, and generally pleasant to be around. Thanks. I think that one of the things that I always tell folks who will say to me, like, what if I play with this and it goes too far? What if I don't burn out on the emotion and instead I can't stop feeling it? What if he tells me that no one's ever going to love me, just like my father never loved me, and that creates a massive complex for me, right? And that can happen. Emotions are in incredibly complex and complicated things. And you can definitely have bad experiences from emotional masochism. However, my experience has been that people are durable, but relationships are not. So I'm, I, when I go to play, I always know that I'm going to be okay at the end of the scene or at the end of the relationship. It may affect me. I may have a really bad time afterwards. Something that someone said may stay with me for a long time, maybe in ways they intended, maybe in ways they didn't, but I'm going to be okay. But what may not be okay is the relationship itself. 
So I'm still able to be a happy, successful person who loves myself, but I'm not necessarily always able to engage again with the tops that I play with. Mm. Mm. Neat. Yep. Very and cool. for me, that goes back to communication. If they communicate well with me on a regular basis, usually I can get over anything and the relationship is durable. But if it's not, if they don't, then emotional masculine can be a real landmine for people. Yeah. And the funny thing is, as we're talking, I'm sitting here and I was thinking, all right, Dan, if you were an emotional masochist, what's your, you know, what's the the thing you would share with somebody? And it's so fucking vulnerable that, um, you know, I could see why that, that, and you know, that's a very powerful thing. You know, if I shared with somebody that I like um, being pegged, that's vulnerable, but it's not mm -hmm. like the vulnerability of, you know, uh, daddy didn't love me or um, I've always, I've got a penis size complex, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's mm -hmm. a different level of vulnerability. Super interesting. All right. One more question for you, if you don't mind. Sure. For people that are listening to this and they say, wow, I want, this is getting me off. I, I think I want to try this out. How do you tell people, what do you do to get started in emotional masochism? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> so, Playing lightly, and by lightly I mean with topics that aren't likely to affect long-term how someone feels about themselves, can be a great way to get started. So, for example, teasing someone with words that are light for them, and it's important to find out what words are light for them because words can have different meanings for everyone, but teasing them with words like slut, um, uh, bad boy, things like that can be pretty lighthearted for a lot of folks and testing of the waters, which is good, um, versus things that might be more in-depth like stupid, fat, unlovable, horrible, right? So using lighthearted words is a great way to start out with people and test the waters mm -hmm. to see if they're interested in it or if they're interested in it. And then, um, uh, I would say lighthearted topics too, besides just words. So teasing someone about whether or not you're going to give them an orgasm is a very different type of emotional masochism than doing long-term orgasm denial. So usually scenes in the beginning are more successful with new people or new topics if they're very lighthearted right off the bat. Okay. So I would say just sticking with those things that aren't going to affect the core of who you are. Cool. Very like cool. If I were to list up my identities, they would be like slave, um, girl, property, emotional masochist. So if I'm just starting to play with someone, I probably need them to stay away from all of those identities and anything they say. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Don't, Absolutely. Yeah. If staying away from your identities is a great way to kind of dip your feet in the water and playing with things that are a lot more mild. Very cool. Well, I can't wait to bend Jason's ear on his perspective of being an emotional sadist. I think there's a lot of, for me, from my perspective, great, good. Let's have him on. Um, Cause I don't know that we'll ever get to see you again in public because of <laughs> speaking. I of, miss you guys. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. All right, uh, Don, we've got a little bit more stuff. We're going to, matter of fact, we're going to go right to three kinky things and be done. We'll save the rest of it to, for next time around. I know okay. you, you have, the, you have uh, Owen and uh, Reverend Danny Smite will be, uh, we'll hear about what they've sent you next week. Okay. Maybe I'll have some boob food, boob food, food, on, food boobs. on boobs before then. But first, so we're just going to talk real quickly um, because I told everybody we would talk about kinky Walmart. I'm just going to tell you really quickly what that's about. I've I heard rumors. I, I don't know what you've heard rumors. I've heard rumors, but go ahead. I just happen to be typing in, um, I don't know how Kinky and Walmart ended up in my browser together, uh -huh. but damned if they didn't, and damned if it didn't come up with a bunch of search results. You can get a variety of kinky things from Walmart. I, that's the rumor I heard. I just hadn't looked it up myself. <laughs> yes. Uh, adult toys, they call them, but they're, they're, they're uh, cock rings, they're all the stuff's vibrators, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not like it's... a back massager it clearly says this is a vibrator so just so weird to me that you can get that shit from a walmart walmart wow yeah. okay 
Don't, by the way, go um, buy them from Walmart. That's was, the worst thing you do. I was going to say, please look up your, please go on FET and look up vendors that are struggling right now for your toys, especially, well, I don't know about vibrators, but I bet you there's a lot of vendors out there with those too and probably have a huge stock right now since we have no events to sell them at. Yep. And then uh, let's knock out the three kinky things real quickly. Okay. Uh, Jareth, if you don't mind, we are going to ask you about one of the kinky things, and then I will ask Dawn, and then Dawn will ask me. Uh, do you mind if we ask you about a kinky thing? I love it. Okay. Uh, one or two? I, as many as you want. I miss kink. <laughs> okay. Well, no, number one or number two, I guess I should have said. Oh, number two. Number okay. Two. How do you feel? Does it get you off, or do you have a feeling, a strong feeling about it, or love it, or hate it? How do you feel about giving foot massages? I hate touching people's feet. It grosses me out. I like to receive foot massages, but giving them I would only do as a form of service and if someone wanted me to feel incredibly low and beneath them. Oh, it would fit into your emotional masochism, wouldn't it? It really would. I really do love the things I really Dan's do. Dan's writing notes. I, absolutely. <laughs> um, That's, yeah. yeah. I only like giving foot massages to people like I'm in relationships with. I don't know about yeah. like strangers and stuff. It's intimate. Yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. Intimate. And that reminds me of a great scene from uh, Pulp Fiction about how foot massages are intimate. Can, but, cause, can cause problems. Yeah. Um, I... Don't care about, I don't mind giving a foot massage. My biggest problem is because my feet are not erogenous zones. I like to be convinced if somebody's feet is an erogenous zone. I want to be really convinced of that. And mm. it's it's challenged because I don't see it that way. It's hard for me to connect that way to it. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Foot massage. Okay. Dawn? Yes. Pearl shower, also known as a cum bath. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, I think that's an answer. <laughs> that's only happened like a couple of times to me. I mean, you did it to me like during our second interview. Our interviews were naughty. Yes. Remember being in the shower and maybe you don't? Oh, crap. <laughs> I don't remember it being in the shower, but I do. Re I thought it but was. But I've, I've more than once. <gasps> oh, no, that was something else. Never mind. <laughs> For those listening at home, she means someone else. No, no, no. No, it was something else in the shower with you. I'm absolutely okay. positive. Right. Absolutely positive. No, but I, I do like that. And uh, someone, uh, a, a space member had actually said that if we, you know, if we get the parties going again, that's exactly what she wants is a bukkake. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I got to watch that. Oh, wait, can I join that? Can I do it with you? Because that would just, that's just so hot to watch a guy jerk off. And that's just, hmm. the, and that's just the, the, the weirdness of the the COVID world that we live in at the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yes, uh, I want all six of you to come all over me, but for fuck's sake, don't breathe on me. Right, sick right. Bastard. You can do that from six feet. So as long as you're not a dribbler. <laughs> I think that you are underestimating the average male's ability to come two yards away. I think uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just weird. No, no. <laughs> All right, which, which one are you going to ask me about? Okay, so for you, um, what about hypnosis? Going back mm. to, and, and um, Jareth, you might have heard this story too, and I'm, I'm jumping back to the, the cum thing for a moment. I remember <laughs> one of the very, very first erotic uh, emotional masochism classes I went to, and, and as you mentioned, Femcar is the other uh, kind of the big names that we're aware of out there talking about how um, somebody jerked off in their hand and just threw it on her and said, you're not even worth fucking. Oh. And just left, right? Yeah, and that yeah. was the first time that that struck me as, you know, I that was, the, you know, that was like the first emotional masochism thing that I'd ever heard of. And I had to sit and think about that. I was like, you know, that's not like Bukaki. That's, just, that's <laughs> something else. <laughs> and she loved it. Mm-hmm. Okay, where so, was I? Oh, yeah, what were oh, you going to ask me Oh, you're staring at me like you, like you have a thought in your head. No. <laughs> so what about hypnosis? Like it? Don't like it? Try it? I have uh, no opinion about it because I've never tried it. I actually have uh, an occasional opinion about it. And actually, this is just really more of a segue for something else. But 
I will say my one bit about hypnosis is a uh, is kind of negative because you and I interviewed a gentleman named Flag some oh, eight years that's ago. That's been a long while ago before he passed. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that Flag was doing was was erotic hypnosis with another friend of ours. Well, of course, Flag passes and left the other person in somewhat of a vulnerable state. I'm not super familiar with all the rest of the details. So erotic hypnosis, erotic hypnosis, much like emotional masochism, that's not something, that's not a newbie toy, right? Mm -hmm. It's not something like, it's not, you know, it's along the lines of, if you want a physical version of that, it's a bullwhip, right? You don't just stop by Spencer Gifts, pick up a, your guide on erotic hypnosis, a bullwhip, and a fuck saw and say, <laughs> I am now uh, Mr. Gray. I am now a big master. <laughs> Fortunately for me, I don't need to know a lot about erotic hypnosis because if you go over to Kink Academy, the fantastic Lee Harrington has oh, nice. many, many videos on erotic, erotic hypnosis. And if there's anybody mm. I trust to teach kink properly and uh, with the best uh, safety and intent in mind, it is uh, absolutely Lee Harrington. It's one of those people. So everything from her heightened senses to the balloon test to post-hypnotic discussion, body introduction, and a lot more, you can find that out on Kink Academy. Just look up hypnosis and you will see the um, fine-looking Lee Harrington all over the place there. Awesome. Lovely. 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 Jareth, I got the impression that you had an opinion that you're a fan <laughs> of the erotic hypnosis. Actually, I also have not experienced it before. What I did have an opinion about when you said it, and I was like, I think I made that mm sound, was that I really agree with you that they're like emotional masochism. You can leave a bottom in a very vulnerable place if you're not careful. I think emotional, um, think erotic hypnosis can do that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yep. yep, totally agree. So there you go, Dawn. You've wasted another night doing a podcast. I love doing the podcast. I know. <laughs> it was fun, guys. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Take a moment to support the podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or just tell your friends. So if you like what we're doing, head over to patreon.com slash erotic awakening to take a look at options like discounted stuff, extra content, and more. Next Zoom meeting for our Patreon supporters is on August 30th at 4 p.m. Eastern, and the info will be going out to the supporters. Bye, Dan. Oh, wait a minute. I just got pulled out a little bit longer. Got to oh, get that good noise. Because you like the... There you there go. There it is. <laughs> Bye, Dawn. Bye, Dan. Bye, Jared. Bye, Jared. <laughs>